<laughs> I was going to say, I feel kind of set up in a good way by the Holy Spirit this morning. Because I'm a great believer in leaders and preachers and that liaising. But it's just wonderful when God goes beyond the liaison and speaks prophetically. And the song choices and everything has just got us right at that place for this word. So it's my privilege today, and it really is a privilege to share with you. Uh, I had the responsibility given me by Hugh of a free hand. Those of you that preach know you never have a free hand if you're uh, a person of integrity and seek the Holy Spirit. And, and I felt uh, over a period of weeks uh, that the Holy Spirit impressed on me uh, that he wanted me to prepare a message. He didn't want me to use any of my favourite messages. He wanted me to prepare a message which is a kind of an extra to our current well-being teaching series. So you won't find this in the well-being book, but you'll find it in this well-being book. Okay? And uh, if anyone has a problem with that, it's okay, because Dave Smith, the writer of the well-being book, was a very old friend of ours, so you won't mind if I add an appendix to his book, I'm quite sure. But um, I'm persuaded from Scripture that what I'm going to share this morning is uh, absolutely essential to our overall well-being. And so I've given the message today the title, A Priority for Total Well-Being. Some of you will know that before the start of the COVID pandemic, which seems a long while ago now, doesn't it? Uh, my wife, Dorothy, was a volunteer chaplain on the acute cardiac ward at our local hospital. And she frequently talked with patients, young and old, who had been completely unaware that they had a heart problem. Some had entered the hospital for something completely unrelated to suddenly discover that they had potentially a serious heart problem. During the 2020 November lockdown, one Sunday afternoon, we went out for an exercise walk. It was one of those permitted walks, okay, this is not party gate or anything like that. And suddenly, Dorothy had a heart attack and was taken by ambulance into hospital and ultimately ended up on the very ward where she is a chaplain. She had been completely unaware of any problem with her heart. But tests revealed that three of her heart arteries were partially blocked. Two were over 90% blocked with a build-up of what non-medical people might call gunk. Just a load of gunk, okay? So anyone who's got more medical knowledge than me this morning, just excuse my ignorance, we'll call it gunk this morning, okay? And it had to be unblocked for life-giving blood to flow properly round her body. Now, we probably all realise that a healthy heart is important to our overall well-being. You could be getting on with life completely unaware that you've got a problem. Friends, I just want to say, for the good of your total well-being, don't neglect having a health check if you've got any physical matters of concern. King Solomon was, of course, renowned for his God-given wisdom. And Proverbs Chapter 4, verses 20 through to 27, contains the record of his advice for our well-being. Okay? And this is his advice. Reading from the NIV version, it should be coming up on the screen. Let's just read it together. My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart 
for they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. There's much, much good advice contained in those verses, including being careful to who and what we listen to. Being careful to avoid unclean and dishonest speech. Being careful where we focus our eyes and being careful what pathways in life we choose to walk. Notice, however, from verse 23, right in the middle of those verses, it is our heart that needs the most attention. The NIV version says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The New King James Version, which is a more precise translation, however, says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Solomon urges us to be diligent in keeping our heart in good order. And whilst it's good for our physical well-being to maintain a healthy diet and to seek to exercise in ways which keep our heart in good order, Solomon is not speaking primarily about the physical organ which pumps the life-giving blood round our bodies. Solomon is speaking about our inner being from where our life's issues spring. As Tom Scrivens explained two weeks ago, quoting from 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, the Bible reveals that we are essentially spirit beings with a soul living in a physical body. Most often, when the, Bible is, when the heart sorry, is spoken of in the Bible, it's referring to our inner being, to our spirit, to the core of our being. When the Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful and wicked, as in Jeremiah 17, it means that mankind is evil at the core of our being. It's our spirit, our heart, the core of our being, which is the wellspring of life. When you say to someone, and it's Valentine's Day tomorrow, isn't it? I love you with all my heart. You don't mean you love them with your physical organ, which we call the heart, you mean that you love them from the very depth of your being. When we became Christians through a personal faith in Jesus as our Saviour and Lord, we are born again and the Holy Spirit incredibly comes and takes up residence in our spirit, in our heart. It's from our spirit, our heart, our inner being that our life's issues spring forth, not from our physical heart. Our spirit I guess it's a bit like the core of an apple. It's where the life is. When, our, when we die, our spirit leaves our body and the apostles Paul and Peter both speak of as our earthly tent. We leave our body, our earthly tent, 2 Corinthians, one, 2 Peter chapter 1. Our physical body is the tent in which we live in this life. And when we die as believers, our spirit being goes to heaven. 
and we live our, sorry, we leave, not live, our earthly tent behind, which disintegrates back into the dust of the earth. Depending on where you have cremation or burial, depends on the speed of the disintegration. <laughs> but that's the reality of it. We're spirit beings of great importance for our total well-being is that we keep our heart, our spirit, the centre of our affections and attitudes free of gunk. As it is out of our heart, our inner being, that our life issues spring. If these issues are not dealt with promptly, we can become actually in bondage to them. So let's consider some of the issues of the heart that can cause any one of us a problem emotionally, spiritually, relationally, and even physically. Some common ones would include fear. We've seen in previous weeks, have we not, from 1 Kings 19, how fear got into Elijah's heart from Jezebel's threat and how it robbed him of his confidence and courage and blocked the flow of the life of God which had been so evidently flowing through him on Mount Carmel. I believe there's evidence of a spirit being at work behind Jezebel's threat. But hallelujah, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, it's not God that gives us a spirit of fear. And 1 John 4 18 tells us that God's perfect love casts out all fear. Friends, whilst we need to be careful and follow the guidance given to us with regards to COVID, we do need to guard our heart against a spirit of fear gaining entry. Unforgiveness is another issue to guard against. Deb spoke about the importance of forgiving last Sunday. So I'm simply going to add that Jesus taught how it is vital we immediately choose to totally forgive anyone who has wronged or hurt us intentionally or unknowingly. And Jesus made clear in a parable recorded in Matthew 18 not to forgive will ultimately put us into bondage. Taking offence over a misunderstanding will affect your heart, your spirit man. Proverbs 19 verse 11 says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offence. Harbouring jealousy will also affect your inner being and probably your attitude to others. You won't be totally free but in bondage. Lust can result in you falling into serious sin as King David did when he gave in to his sexual desires and abused his position and committed adultery with Bathsheba and then went a step further and arranged the death of her husband, which Tom, you remember Tom Scrivens, reminded us of a couple of weeks ago. Proverbs 6.25 urges us, do not lust in your heart. Friends, do not lust in your heart. Constant criticising and grumbling as the Israelites did towards Moses, recorded in Numbers 14, affects your heart and your relationships, not just with other people, but also with God. Resentment is another issue which will seriously affect your inner being as well as potentially your overall health. Hebrews 12.15 urges us to see that no bitter root grows up in our heart as in addition to affecting our own health, it can cause trouble and defile others. And uncontrolled anger 
is another issue which can cause untold damage, not just inwardly, but also in our relationships. Remember God's challenge to Cain, recorded in Genesis 4, verse 6. It was, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? He showed it on his face. If you do not, sorry, do what is right, then sin, as it were, is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Sadly, he didn't master it. And killed his brother, Abel, because he allowed an issue of the heart to fester and grow, which then sprung forth as hatred and murderous anger. Solomon's God-given advice is above all else, Guard your heart. Deal with issues in your heart before they grow and become bigger issues which can affect your emotional and mental health, your physical health, and your relationships, including your relationship with the Lord. Now, if I can be permitted to just add some advice to Solomon, which is going a little bit bold, perhaps, it would be this. If you have an issue with anyone, then check your heart. For most likely, you've got a wrong attitude towards that person for some reason or other. You need to deal with it. Take it to the Lord in prayer and don't let it fester. One of the primary ways we are to keep our heart, let's say, in good shape is through reading and applying to our life God's word from the Bible. However, the condition of our heart, our inner well-being, will have a direct effect on the fruitfulness of God's word in our life. In Mark chapter 3, and it's also recorded in Matthew and Luke with some slight uh, other variances, but in Mark 3, we have a record of the parable of the sower. It's probably the most important parable told by Jesus for Jesus said to his disciples, if you don't understand that parable, how will you understand any parable? Personally, I don't think that paintings depicting Jesus as the sower helped former generations of believers understand this parable. Because in explaining the meaning of the story to his disciples, Jesus never said that he is the sower in the parable, although clearly he was on that particular occasion when he told the story. But today, I'm the sower. Right now, I'm, as it were, scattering good seed over this congregation and the hope is that most of it will be received into good soil. Now, I don't want to assume that everyone here is familiar with this parable. So let me just give you a quick summary of this story of Jesus. He told how when a farmer sowed seed in his field, and in those days they would walk through the field with a basket of seed and they would scatter it. A bit like you might set your lawn if you want to repair your, your lawn. Not his lawn, of course. <laughs> so he tells this story of how a farmer was sowing seed in his field, and some of the seed fell on the hard, trodden-down path. And the birds immediately swooped down and stole the seed. Other seed fell in a rocky patch of ground. And because the soil was shallow, Jesus said, the seed quickly sprung up, but when under the heat of the sun, the plants withered because they didn't have a good root. 
Other seed fell among thorns which choked the plants so they didn't bear any grain. And some, of course, fell on good soil which produced a good crop with some yielding 30, 60 and even a hundredfold return. That's the essence of the story. Now, of course, a parable is a story with a meaning. But it is a mistake, friends, when interpreting parables to try and get a point out of every single detail in the story. If you do that, you can get into error. Because, for example, if you take the parable of the unjust steward in Luke chapter 18, which teaches us to boldly and persistently ask in prayer, the unjust judge who the widow appeals to is not a picture of how God is. Our God is not unjust. He does care about people and he loves to give good gifts. We are, however, to be persistent in prayer. And usually in understanding parables, there are one or two main points of the story. And in the parable of the sower, the main points which Jesus explains to his disciples are the seed the farmer sows represents God's word. And the differing soil conditions which the seed fell into are pictures of a range of people's hearts. As I previously said, today, as the preacher, I'm the sower scattering seed into the field of Redeemer Church. But you, individually, are like a sower when you read the Bible and receive it into your heart. The Bible, if I can put it this way, is like a big sack of good seed. And, and it, it's not, as it were, going to be, it is living and active, but it's, it's not very good between these covers. I know most of you are on devices now. It's got to get into your heart. There's nothing wrong with the seed. I don't know whether you've ever kept seed from one year to the next and then you plant it and you're expecting carrots and you get nothing because the seed's gone stale. God's word never goes stale. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us it's an it's imperishable seed and it will always produce a crop of fruit when it's sown into good soil. The fruitfulness of God's word in your life depends on the condition of your heart. Is it like good soil? Or is, it, is your heart hard or overrun with thorns? Or is there a lot of dead wood? Which God's been speaking about already this morning, hasn't he? If your heart is like a trodden down path, then Jesus explained that immediately God's word is sown into your heart. Satan will steal it through, for example, doubt and unbelief. He'll even do it now. I'll say something, or the preacher says something one Sunday, and, and it will be like the enemy whispers into your mind, does that really say that in the Word? And before you know it, Satan has robbed you of that before you even leave the meeting, if you've got a, if you've got a hard heart. If your heart is like a rocky patch of ground, then you'll be someone, for example, who gets really excited by a new truth you've learned from a Sunday preach. But when troubles come in your life, you are prone to fall away as your faith is not strongly rooted. What about a heart and life overrun by thorns? Mark's record says that Jesus explained the thorns can be a number of things and he specifically mentions worry. The worries of life or anxiety. The deceit of wealth or the desire for things. 
Dr. Luke, in his account, adds the pursuit of pleasures as being like a thorn. Friends, beware that if your heart and life become overcrowded with worry or the desire that you must have the latest things or with the pursuit of wealth or earthly pleasures, they will have the same effect in your life as thorns which take over a patch of ground and choke the life out of other plants. In a similar way, if your heart is full of such things, it won't be long before your life is taken over by them and God's word will not be living and active in your life. Remember Solomon's advice? Make looking after your heart the top priority so that God's word is sown into good soil. Luke defines someone with a good heart as a noble person. And from Mark's account, we discover that such a person is someone first who hears God's word. You can hear it even as you read it. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't mean it have to be spoken orderly. But someone who hears God's word, because the scripture teaches us that faith comes by hearing and by hearing. A good person also, Luke says, is a person who doesn't just hear, they retain God's word. They retain what they've received from God. Sorry, that's that's Luke. Did I say Luke? Mark says they hear God's word and secondly, they accept God's word. They don't doubt it. They don't question it. They don't discard it. Luke says such a person retains the word that they've received from God and they persevere in their believing in it. And for for that kind of person, the word of God sown in their heart results in great fruitfulness like receiving 30, 60, 100-fold crop of grain. The condition of our heart, our inner being, is not only important to our overall health, and doctors will tell you that, but specifically, it's a key to the fruitfulness of God's word in your life. And secondly, also, it is a key to the flow of the life of God's spirit in and through you. Earlier, I identified the kind of things which can cause a build-up of this word I've invented, gunk, in our hearts, which can reduce the fullness of life which the Lord desires for us, including blocking the flow of life of God's Spirit in us and through us. From personal experience, however, it's not just those issues that I identified, like anger and bad attitudes, which can become gunk in our hearts, but things from the result of just life's experiences, such as unprocessed grief. Such things can cause a blockage to us experiencing the fullness of life of God. Now, of course, God promises in his word, he will turn our sorrow to joy. But that won't be our experience, friends, if we bury our grief and don't process it, and don't draw on the comfort of the Holy Spirit at those times. Fifty years ago, which means not even Tom was born, I don't think, just, fifty years ago, my brother was an Oxford undergraduate undertaking a year's placement in France. 
And remark, we had no phones or anything in those days. Remarkably, he changed his plans and to the surprise of my parents, he arrived home a week before Christmas. We were expecting him not to be home for Christmas. But the very next day, on Sunday, he went into a coma and was rushed into hospital and put on life support. Dorothy and I received a phone call after our morning service from my parents to say my brother had unexpectedly come home, but he was in the Essex County Hospital, the hospital they're just about to pull down in Colchester. When we arrived there, I was taken to one side by the medical staff and told that my brother had had a serious bleed on the brain and it was most likely that he was already brain dead and it was just the heart which was being kept pumping by the machine. They would therefore do tests the next day and if it was found that he was brain dead, then they would switch off the machine and phone me as the eldest sibling to say, he had died. And it would fall to me to go and tell my parents that he'd passed away. And that is exactly what happened. My brother died just days after his 21st birthday. And wanting to stay strong as a support to my parents and younger sisters and brother, with hindsight, isn't hindsight a wonderful thing? With hindsight, I didn't take the time to process my own loss of my closest brother. And for many years, I underestimated that loss. And in fact, it's only relatively recently I've become to recognise just how much of a loss it was. Unbeknown to me, I didn't recognise it, there was a deeply buried sadness, which was like gunk, which was preventing me from fully experiencing the joy of the Lord. Now, incredibly, in 1983, I was baptised in the Holy Spirit with the supernatural language of speaking with other tongues, and that totally changed me. I mean, if you'd have known me before that, you'd have seen a different person. That changed me from being stiff and rigid in worship to being absolutely unashamable in worship to express my feelings. I thought I was free, but I still had a heart condition, which the Lord was going to free me of, which he did during meetings in Wembley Conference Centre in 1995. The first night of these meetings, the Holy Spirit was moving amongst the congregation powerfully. People were literally falling out of their seats, overcome by the Holy Spirit's presence. An uncontrollable holy laughter was breaking out all around me, including among the friends that we were with. And to be quite honest with you, it was annoying me big time. <laughs> I was miserable. The scripture says that in his presence is fullness of joy. And I tell you, he was most definitely present. I mean, we know from our series on God is that he's present everywhere, but there are times when he manifests his presence, when he shows his presence. I mean, he was showing his presence, but I wasn't full of joy. What was happening was a big issue in my heart for me. That evening, Dorothy and I went back to our hotel. She went back, rather with a very grumpy, unhappy husband. And in our room, she asked me, in only a way that Dorothy could, so what's the matter with you? Not quite like that, but probably worse than that. <laughs> Dorothy had a prophetic word years ago that next to the Holy Spirit, she'd be my greatest critic. So, so what's the matter with you? It was one of those let's say, uncomfortable questions which needed to be asked, which Hugh spoke about a few weeks ago. 
And suddenly, without any forethought, I blurted out, it's the loss of my brother. I broke down and wept uncontrollably. Later we prayed and asked the Lord for his healing, help and comfort. And guess what? In the meeting the next evening, when the Holy Spirit began to move, it was me who fell out of my seat, rolling around on the floor with uncontrollable laughter. And ever since that time, this may just explain a few things, so it may help you. When the Holy Spirit really begins to move in meetings, I can become drunk in the Spirit. I've never been drunk in my life with wine or beer. I grew up as a good TT boy in the Salvation Army. But I can get absolutely drunk. I can become even more noisy than I usually am. Or I can be totally flawed by the weight of the Holy Spirit's presence. For me, even though I was baptised in the Spirit, unprocessed grief was a blockage to the life of God's Spirit in me. And thus it was affecting my total well-being. For 24 years, I had a blockage of the heart. But suddenly, I love the suddenness of God, 24 years after my, and God wants us to be some suddenness this morning. 24 years after my brother's death. He doesn't want you to wait 24 years. The Lord freed me from the bottled up grief, which was a blockage in my life. For you, it might be fears or it might be a past bad experience, which is the blockage in your heart, preventing you from receiving the fullness of the life of God's spirit and his complete well-being, which he's made available for every one of us. This aspect, friends, of God's plan for our well-being doesn't require any gym subscription or special diet, praise God. You just have to be thirsty. And the more desperately thirsty you are for more of God, the better. On the last and greatest day of the Feast of Tabernacles, as recorded in John chapter 7, Jesus stood up. He had something especially important to say for Jewish teachers sat down to teach. They still do to this day. But Jesus stood up and the scripture actually said he cried out in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures had said, and he was pointing to Isaiah, rivers of living water will flow from within him. If your Bible says streams, cross it out and put rivers. It's a more precise translation. A river is more powerful than a stream. Jesus promised rivers of living water will flow out of our innermost being. And in the very next verse, John, prompted by the Holy Spirit, explains that Jesus was referring to the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in him would later receive. But up until that time, the Holy Spirit had not been given in that way because Jesus had not then been glorified as king. The glorification of our queen, otherwise known as the coronation, was not until four months after the death of her father. Is that right? We're celebrating in June. She's, we've just had the, the other one. And in a similar way, you see, the glorification of Jesus Christ wasn't until 50 days after his death. 
The good news is we are living in the time after Jesus was glorified and crowned King of Kings, as Andy reminded us this morning. We come to worship the King, and on the day of his coronation, his glorification in heaven, it was the day of Pentecost on the earth, and he poured out his Holy Spirit as his coronation gift to his bride, his church. And that gift, friends, is for every born-again believer. The only qualification is, as a believer, is that you're thirsty for more of God. I don't know about you, I'm thirsty. I was up during the night two or three times last week and my mouth was parched last night. My mouth was parched. I thought, God, you know, I like this prophetic stuff, but I am thirsty. But I tell you, I'm more spiritually thirsty than I was physically thirsty last night. And so, what should our response be to all this? What should our response be? When the, Peter, when the people, are, and please I'm not comparing myself with Peter, <laughs> but when the people heard Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, their response was, what shall we do then? Acts 2, 37. So let me try and answer that important question in relation to today's message. Firstly, one, God your heart as a priority. I'm speaking for myself as well. And with God's help, deal with issues as they arise. Secondly, just as a garden needs to be maintained and weeded, and it's getting near that time of year again, I can see my allotment holders nodding in agreement. Just as a garden needs to be maintained and weeded, keep your heart in good order. And keep sowing God's word into your heart. And we'll add in, prune back the dead wood as well. Because the Spirit of God was saying that. And thirdly, just as Dorothy needed her arteries unblocked to enable a better flow of life-giving blood, in a similar way, ask the Lord to remove any blockages you might have to the flow, not of blood, but to the flow of God's life-giving spirit in your life. And finally, ask the Lord to baptize you. What do I mean? Immerse you, saturate you in the Holy Spirit with the accompanying supernatural personal prayer language of speaking in other tongues. Today, I honestly believe the Lord wants to heal and unblock hearts from fears and sorrows and, yes, other gunk and to baptize and to also refill people with his spirit. And so I, if you want him to unblock your heart today and if you're thirsty and want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or you just want a fresh infilling, then I want to invite you this morning. We want to invite you this morning. I've checked it out with the the elders. We want to invite you to come forward and receive. When Jesus stood up on that last day of the feast, he was referring to Isaiah 55 and verse 1, which tells us you can't buy this gift of the Holy Spirit. But we're to come to him, the scripture says, thirsty. And we receive this wonderful experience by simply surrendering ourselves fully to the Lord. And so, come now. 
Surrender your whole being and drink of His Spirit. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, then you can come too and receive God's forgiveness and receive the life of His Holy Spirit. Someone will pray with you and help you in taking that step to a whole new life. We're going to sing, Oh, Come to the Altar, a fantastic song. You might think, but you're a church which doesn't have any physical altar to come to. Friends, church altars are only symbolic. Real altars are where sacrifices to God are made. And as you come forward to the front, you can meet with God afresh and the place where you stand will become an altar where you can make a total sacrifice of your whole being and in return receive more of his eternal well-being. Can I invite you to stand? And as the worship team lead us in this song, the invitation is simply this this morning. The Spirit of Jesus is saying, Oh, come. Come to the altar. Come and receive from the Lord right now. Christ, oh, come to the altar. 
Holy Spirit say to me, 